This morning we're on week three of our series, Soul Detox, Clean Living in a Contaminated World. And the first week, Pastor Dick talked about self-deception and how we're really good at self-deception. Uh, we deceive ourselves in believing things that isn't true about ourselves. And last week, uh, Dr. Sheard talked about uh, um, uh, right thinking and how it's important that we have biblical thinking and not think like the world. And this morning, we're going to talk about hazardous waste. We're going to talk about secret sin. And, but before we do that, I want to talk to you a little bit about the state of Nevada. And I have a map here that, that they're going to put up behind me. But uh, the state of Nevada, uh, I don't know about if you're aware, but the state of Nevada is a pretty hazardous place. Uh, in that state, if you can see in the middle there, there's the Nevada test site. And on that site, uh, the United States government has done thousands of nuclear tests on that site. Uh, that's where, that's where we've, we've tested our weapons. So it's, uh, you know, th- th- it's, the, it's called the, the National Test Site, and it's in Nevada. And, and right next to that National Test Site, you can see in the middle there, there's the words Yucca Mountain. And in 1982, the United States Congress made the U- United States Department of Energy responsible for finding a place to put our nuclear waste. Uh, you know, we live right next to Three Mile Island, and, and last week, you know, Three Mile Island shut down unexpectedly. And, and you know in Three Mile Island, they have those, those fuel rods, and they wear out, and they're still radioactive, and we need something to do with them. So in 1982, uh, the, the Congress made the Department of Energy responsible for finding a site, building, and operating an underground disposable facility for nuclear waste. Well, in 2002, Congress and President Bush approved the building of a waste repository, a thousand feet underground in Yucca Mountain, Nevada. Now, I don't know if you remember this. I'm not, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to politics, but I, I can faintly remember this, uh, this, this coming on the scene. And a lot of people were upset, especially if you lived in Nevada. You were upset that uh, they, they were upset that they were going to build this nuclear waste dump in their state. And they were upset for a number of reasons, the residents. They were concerned that, uh, that the hauling of the toxic chemicals and the toxic waste, what happens if there was an accident? It could be very hazardous to the residents of Nevada. So they were concerned about the hauling, and they were also concerned about the storage. It's 1,000 feet underground, a thousand feet above the water table, what happened if it leaked? What happened if it would leak and then it would get into the water system and it could poison everyone around it? And so uh, there was this public outcry, and, and all of a sudden, uh, not only was it a public outcry, but uh, other congressmen from Nevada started to take up the cause and, and, and to, to, to fight against it. And uh, in 2009, after Cong- some congressmen got involved in it, we had a presidential change. The, the, the Secretary of Energy made this statement about Yucca Mountain. Nuclear waste storage at Yucca Mountain is not an option, period. They're not going to store it there. The U.S. had spent $12 billion to develop Yucca Mountain, and they're not going to put the nuclear waste there. Now, if you look at the map and you see Yucca Mountain's right there in the middle, if you notice down here in the bottom corner, there's the city of Las Vegas. You see, the state of Nevada didn't want to have a, a, a hazardous waste dump in the middle of their state. But you know what? They have a hazardous waste dump at the bottom of their state. It's called Las Vegas. 
And in 2003, Las Vegas, they they decided they were going to stop trying to market Las Vegas as a family-friendly resort destination. And they were going to make it into an adult-themed destination. And they started a new campaign, and you probably all heard the slogan, what happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas. Uh, they, They started this campaign, and their latest campaign of what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas, is called Know the Code. Watch this commercial. It was a classic Vegas night. We dropped our bags in the suite. We caught the game at Legacy Stadium. We had dinner at Twist. Then we hit the town. Things got a little crazy. One thing led to another, and the next day, Steve tagged me in a photo from the Gold Lounge. It was a blatant violation of the code. So I did the right thing, and I reported him. Don't be that guy. Report friends and learn more at visitlasvegas.com. So I don't know if you, you catch the gist of that, but it, the, whole, the whole thing, know the code is, you know what, like, hey, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And so there's another commercial with a bunch of ladies, and, and they try to ignore this lady because she's been, she's been uh, Facebooking pictures, and she's been tweeting what they're doing, and they're like, they're letting everybody know what's happening in Las Vegas. You see, the know the code is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's what happens in secret stays a secret, and you can't violate the code. You can't let anyone know what is happening. See, Nevada has embraced this, this campaign. They've, they've embraced this hazardous waste. They've embraced this sinful lifestyle and encouraging them even to keep it a secret. Come to Las Vegas, have fun, have a good time. It doesn't matter what you do because it'll stay in Las Vegas. It'll be our little secret. It's not a very good way to live our lives. This morning, we're going to talk about secret sin and how it is hazardous to our lives. And, and, and the thing about secret sin is, you know what, it only stays secret for so long. And then it's found out, and the implications are, are quite wide and various. And so we're going to look at a few accounts from Scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to open them up to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be there for a little bit. We're going to go to Joseph, I mean, we're going to go to, uh, uh, to Joshua chapter 7. And then we're going to go over to Acts chapter 5. And we're going to come back to 2 Samuel 11 and 12. We're going to be a lot of different places. But we're going to look at a, at a few different accounts from Scripture. And in each and every one of these accounts, I want you to realize something. It's the same story just different characters. It's the same story, just different characters. But let's start off in Genesis chapter 3. It's the account of Adam and Eve. And in this account, we've, we in the very beginning find a command. In verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 3, it says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And we know, we know the story. God created the, the Garden of Eden, and he, and he put Adam and Eve in, and it was a great place to live in. And they had the run of the whole place, except one spot, the tree in the middle. And God said, you can have everything, just not that tree. And that's God's command. Uh, they could eat from any tree but one. They just couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. And so now we see the compromise that comes along in verse 6 of Genesis 3. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. We see the compromise. Eve took some fruit and ate it, and she gave some to Adam. They compromised. They sinned against God. They chose to do their own thing and not go God's way. And so they had a command, and they chose to compromise that command and do their own thing. And the story continues with a cover-up in verses 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We see there's a cover-up. Now, there's a literal cover-up, and, and, you know, but, but they also were trying to cover up their sin. You know, they had walked with God in the garden and enjoyed fellowship with him, and that was a normal occurrence. And now that they compromised and sinned against God, they heard him and they were afraid. They heard him and they wanted to try to hide because they thought maybe we could hide from God. Maybe we could hide and he won't know what we did. So the cover-up is on. They hid from God because of their sin. And then in verses 11 and uh, 13 in chapter 3, we see the confrontation. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate it. God confronted them on their, on their sin. And isn't it interesting how they responded? Adam says, hey, wait a minute. You know, we did it, but it's not my fault. It's, it's this wife that you gave me. She made me do it. And then Eve says, wait a minute, God. It's not my fault. It's this crafty serpent that made me do it. But you see, there was a confrontation. God, God knew what they had done. Their sin had been found out. That's the first account. Let's look at Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7 and the account of Achan. And in Joshua chapter 6, we know it's the great account of of the battle of Jericho. And it's a story that we learn from from early on up about uh, uh, Israel going against the great city of Jericho and and with the high walls and how they're going to defeat the city of Jericho. And and, and in chapter 6, God gives them a command as they're preparing to battle Jericho. And the command is found in verses 17 and 19. Verses 17 through 19. The city and all that is in it is to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be, despair, shall be spared because she hid spies, the, the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Before the battle started, before the battle of Jericho started, God made it very clear to the Israelites they were told not to keep any plunder from Jericho. That everything, all the gold, the silver, all those things are devoted, they're set aside for the Lord. They go to God. They go to his temple. They're not for them. And so we see, we see the command in chapter 6. And now let's look at the compromise in, in verse 1 of chapter 7. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burnt against Israel. 
God had just got done telling them, hey, whatever you find in Jericho, it all belongs to me. And they went to battle, and they de- the walls fell down, and, and the Israelites defeated Jericho, and, a- and Achan looked at all that was inside Jericho, and he was tempted, and he took some of the stuff. He didn't give it to God. He couldn't resist, and he took some of the devoted things, the things that God said were for me. And so we see a compromise. The story continues, and now we see a cover-up. In Joshua 7, verses 10 to 12, the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned, and they violated my commandment, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied, and they have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Now what's happening here is that the Israelites have had gained victory over Jericho and they defeated Jericho and Achan took the stuff and then the Israelites decided to go against Ai and fight them and they were defeated. They were defeated and, 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 and Joshua is, is just really depressed by this. He's like, God, we just defeated Jericho and now Ai, they're not even like Jericho. They're not even as, as strong as Jericho and we go up against them and we lose. What is going on? Joshua is mourning before God and God, God says, you, you've made a mistake and you know why? Because Achan covered up his sin. The cover-up was on. They, they lost that battle because Achan resumed the life as normal. Think he got away with it until they went to battle against Ai and they lost. And God brought it to their attention that someone had taken the devoted things. And then we see the confrontation in Joshua 7, 13 to 25. And in verse 14 it says this, In the morning present yourself tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord takes shall come forward family by family, and the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Skip ahead to verse 20. Achan replied, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done when I saw in the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent. The tent was underneath. The silver was underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they stoned the rest, they burnt them. You see, there was a confrontation. God said, you know, we're going to find who the culprit was. So bring them out, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, man by man, and we are going to uncover this sin. And that was Achan. They finally came to him, and, and, 
and he was confronted, and we know that his, confront, his confrontation didn't end well with him. Him and his whole family was destroyed because of his sin. That's the second account. Let's go to the third account. It's in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, and this is the account of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. And, in, and, and before we get to the account in 5, we, we see that chapter 4 in Acts ends, uh, verses 32 to 35, with this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed they, that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. From, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as they had need. And so here we see that the story starts with a common commitment. It wasn't necessarily a command from God, but the early church had this common commitment that, that nothing that they had was their own. If there were people in need, they would, take, they would take what they would have and they would sell that. And whatever money they got, they gave it to the church to distribute to those who had a need. That was the common commitment that the early church made. And, and, and that's the way that they cared for one another and helped out those who were poor. And so we see that it starts with a common commitment, and now we see the compromise in verses 1 and 2 of Acts 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. You see, here's the compromise. They kept back part of the money from the sale of their property for themselves. They acted like they gave it all, but they kept back some from themselves. They were being deceitful. They sinned. They were trying to deceive their friends in the church like hey, they just did this great thing and they sacrificed all this, all, all this money. That was the compromise. And, and the cover-up was found there in the first two verses was they acted like they brought it all. They acted like, hey, this is it. We're giving you everything that we got for the sale of this, of this piece of property. You can have it all. So they not only tried to deceive them, but they covered it up by acting like nothing, uh, like they didn't hold anything back. And now we see the confrontation in verses 3 through 10 of Acts 5. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is that Satan has so filled your heart that you lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for land? Did it belong to you? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. In verse 7, it goes on, About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will also carry you out. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Peter con confronted them both individually and said, you know what, is this, is this true? And, and they realized that they've been trying to cover up their sin. They were trying to hide it. And you know what, it's easy for us to look at those stories, and it's easy for us to think, they're really stupid people, aren't they? Why would they do such a thing like that? But you know what? There's one more account I want to talk about this morning. And that's the account of you and me. 
because we do the same thing. I'll never forget, I was in high school, and, and uh, one, one day my girlfriend came to my house. She knocked on the door, and she said, hey, I got a question to ask you. I said, okay. So what were you doing last night? I didn't want her to know what I was doing last night, so I didn't tell her the truth. She's like, oh, well, I, know who you were. I knew who you were with last night. You were with your buddy Mike, and I'm going to go ask him what you were doing. So she hopped in her car. My buddy Mike lived a block down from my house and a block over. So she hopped in her car to go to Mike's house. Now, me in my infinite wisdom, instead of picking up the phone and calling Mike, I decided that, you know what, I, am, I, I can run to Mike's house before she got there. And so I took, out, I took off out of my house, and I'm like running through the neighbor's yards, hopping fences and everything, and I turned the corner on Center Street. And as I turned the corner, whose car is in front of Mike's house, and who is at Mike's door? It's Melissa. And Mike's story and my story didn't line up. And needs to say that our relationship was a little chilly for the next few weeks because I lied. I tried to cover it up. I was confronted and caught. And it wasn't a pretty picture. And you know what? We do that time and time again. We, you know, husbands with our wives, we do that, don't we? You know, I was thinking about it in, in, in my relationship with Danny. We kind of do this sometimes, you know, and it comes to things that we buy. And, and, and when we say, okay, well, I'm not going to, you know, things that we buy and say, you know, we go out and buy something and, and to try to make it sound a little bit better. Well, how much did that cost? Well, we don't give the exact figure, you know, maybe not, not quite the exact amount so that uh, it sounds a little bit better. But you know what happens at the end of the month? The statement comes, you look at it and like, oh, wow, that's, or, or you know, we make a decision that, uh, you know, hey, you know, I don't think we're going to buy this right now. You know, we decide uh, we're, we're not going to buy this right now. And then what happens? We go and buy it. And today's my wife's birthday. And so we made a decision not to buy any, each other gifts. And I just want you to know, I'm going I'm to honor that. And I'm not, I'm not going to go out and buy you anything. So, so, um. So I, I've been convicted by this message, and I, and I don't want to be found out, so, so I'm not going to buy her anything. But, uh, um, um, but you and me, you know, in all seriousness, we do this, don't we? We're, the, we're, just like, we're just like Achan. We're just like Adam and Eve. We're just like Ananias and Sapphira. It's the same story, different characters. We try to hide our sin. We try to hide our sin. And you know what? These stories represent, it represents the sin cycle. It represents the sin cycle. God gives us a command. He gives us his commandments found in his word. He gives it to us not to ruin our lives, but so that we would live better lives, so that it would keep us from trouble, that it would, would keep us out of trouble, that we would live abundant lives. And he gives us a commandment, and we choose to compromise. We choose to compromise. Because of our sin nature, everyone eventually gives into temptation. We choose to go our own way instead of God's way. So we, we have a commandment, we compromise, and, and what happens next just comes natural. It's the cover-up. True to our fallen nature, most of us extend our failure by trying to conceal and cover up our sins. We try to conceal or cover up our sins. When, some, when we do something wrong, we hope to bury our toxic actions so no one will know. We pretend it didn't happen. You know, we try to deny our actions and we distance ourselves from taking responsibility for it. The cover-up is on. And you know what? As we cover up our sin, we think, you know, hiding our sin might make life easier now, but it always becomes worse 
over time. It always gets worse over time because as we start down the sin cycle, we go from commandment to compromise to cover up. There's usually always a confrontation. There's usually always a confrontation and at that moment we are left with a choice. We're left with a choice. Do we, do we continue on in the sin cycle and go back to compromise and cover it up and, and soon we have so many stories that we're trying to keep straight that it's hard to keep it straight? Or do we make a choice to confess? The last account we want to look at is, is, a, is a very familiar account. It's the account of David. Dick looked at it a, a few weeks ago, and we're just going to uh, overview this just, just briefly this morning. But in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we see the account of David, and we see how he breaks the sin cycle. It's very clear how he breaks the sin cycle. So let's, let's look at this story. In 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, it says this, "...in the spring at the time when kings go off to war." Again, we see another common commitment. It was springtime, and kings went to war with their armies, except David. This time he decided, I'm not going to go. I'm going to stay home, uh, and, and I'm just going to hang out at home. And, and it leads to the compromise. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed. He walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came back to him, and, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant compromise you could say david was not where he was supposed to be he saw what he wasn't supposed to see and he did something he wasn't supposed to do and it cost him more than he ever wanted to pay being in the wrong place never helps you do the right thing being in the wrong place never helps you do the right thing and David experienced that. It says there in those first few verses that David saw Bathsheba. And the word saw means that he gazed, he stared, he looked intently. David just didn't see her. He was checking her out, and he liked what he saw, and he acted. He acted. He compromised. He sinned against God. He... And then she sends word back, and she says, I'm pregnant. And David's worried. So what does he do? The cover-up is on. Verses 6 through 17, we, we see the cover-up. And, and, and to summarize those verses, David, David realized, I've got to do something. Because her husband's not at home. And she's pregnant. And so I need to figure something out to, to make this all work in my favor. So plan A. David says, I'm going to send for Uriah. I'm going to bring him back for a little R&R, a little rest and relaxation. Surely he'll go home and enjoy his wife. You know, light some candles, turn on some soft music, and have a good time at home with his wife. Sounds like a good plan, right? Except what happened? Uriah said, you know what? My men are not home with their wives. They're not sleeping in their own bed, and I'm not going to either. So he slept outside the palace. David's like, well, plan A didn't work. So what do I do now? Come forward, tell the truth. Nope, plan B. Second, second idea, David. So, okay, well, 
Uriah's such a noble guy. Well, you know what? I'll just get him drunk. Uh, I'll just get him drunk, and once he's totally loaded, he'll stumble back to his house and surely, surely go and sleep with his wife, and, and everything will be good. And even then, Uriah didn't go back home. He slept outside his house. So by this point, I'm sure David is in a total panic. But hey, the cover-up's on. No, no sense coming forward now. What else can he do? He came up with plan C. Plan A didn't work. Plan B didn't work. So plan C, we'll send Uriah back to the front lines. And we'll give the general orders that, hey, put Uriah where the, the fighting is the fiercest and then pull everybody back and he'll be killed. And that's what he did. And that's what happened. The cover-up was on. Uriah died, and David is safe, right? Well, in the sin cycle, like I said, confrontation usually comes, and confrontation came in 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 and 7, and the prophet Nathan comes to David and says, David, I got a story to tell you. Let me tell you a story about two men, a rich guy and a poor guy. And the rich guy had lots of sheep, and the poor guy had one little lamb that he loved. He loved it so much, he treated it like it was one of his kids, and, and, and he just did everything for that little lamb. Then one day, a traveler came and visited the rich guy, and the rich guy wanted to s- serve him a nice meal. So the rich guy went out, and what did he do? He took that poor man's one little lamb, and that was dinner. Nathan gets done telling the story, and David is hot. David is hot, and, and, and David says, and, and it says in verse 5, he burned with anger against the man. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He should pay for that land four times over. And then Nathan looked at David and said, you're the man. And that's not a good, you're the man. That's one time that David didn't want to be the man. He was the man. He, he was the one that did that. And Nathan said to David in verse 9, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You, stuck, you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Nathan tells David, Not only did you sin by sleeping with Bathsheba, but you sinned by trying to cover it up and murdering Uriah. You're out of hand, David. This, is, this has gotten out of hand. And David is left with a choice. Does he continue on in the, in the sin cycle, or does he confess? And we see that David confesses. In verse 13 of 2 Samuel 12, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It's almost, as if, it's almost as if David said, Nathan, I'm just tired. I'm tired of all the stories. I'm tired of trying to cover this all up. It's not working out for me. I sinned. I sinned against the Lord. I was wrong. Psalm 51.10, David, talking about his sin with Bathsheba, says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David confesses and breaks the sin cycle. Confession means to say the same thing about sin as God does. It's to say the same thing about sin as God does, that it's wrong. And confession, it's agreeing with God and admitting that it's wrong. But you know what? This admission should lead to a change of action. This admission's got to lead to a change of action. If we're, truly, if we're truly repentant, if we're truly confessing our sins, if we're truly sorry, we're not sorry about the consequences. 
We're not sorry about the fact that we got caught. We're sorry that, that, that we broke the heart of God, that we rebelled against him, that we went our own way. We need to confess our sin to God. That's how we break the sin cycle. David in Psalm 32 said this about sin. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And in Proverbs 28, 13, David's son Solomon said this, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. As I was reading those verses this week and thinking about confession and the importance of confession, two things came to mind. Those who hide their sins can't receive God's blessing. It's clear from Psalm 32 and Proverbs 28, those who try to hide our sins, we can't receive God's blessing. We can't. Because our sin has separated us from God. God can't be anything close to sin. There, there can't be no sin near him. And so when we sin, we, we break that relationship. It separates us from God. So he's not going to bless us if we're living in sin. But the good news from those verses is those who confess their sins find mercy and forgiveness. We can find mercy and forgiveness. We can break the sin cycle. We can confess our sin, and God extends mercy and forgiveness. He can restore that broken relationship. The sin cycle, there's, there's commandments from God. There's our compromise when we don't do what God wants us to do and we sin and do our own thing usually leads to a cover-up, which leads to a confrontation, and then we're given a choice. Do we confess and break the sin cycle, or do we continue to cover it up and continue just to choose to compromise? If you and I are serious about de detoxifying our soul this morning, we need to deal with sin. And now's a good time Now's a good time to reflect on where you are with God, to examine your public and your private behavior. It's a great time just to, to take stock of where we are, to be brutally honest and ask ourselves, are we hiding anything that we need to bring to God and ask for forgiveness? Do you have a secret addiction that has become the focus, the God of your life that you're hiding? Is there inconsistency between your intentions and your actions? Do you dishonor God during the week at work or with your friends and then come to church on Sunday and act like nothing happened? Do you lie, deceiving your friends and family with lots of stories, made-up stories trying to cover up your sin? Do you act like you're a great friend and then gossip behind your friends' backs trying to make yourself look better? Are you idolizing success and material possessions? Or maybe it's something else. But this morning, if we want to be serious about detoxifying our soul, if we want to be serious about clean living in a contaminated world, we have to deal with sin. We have to deal with sin. Came across a quote this week. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. And you know what the interesting thing about that quote is? It's from Ted Haggard. 
Ted Haggard, pastor in, it was a pastor in Colorado, and gave that sermon and gave that quote before he experienced that in his own life. He sinned. He committed adultery. Lost his church, almost lost his family. But more importantly, more importantly, he brought shame on the name of God. And you know what? When we sin, it's just as bad as Ted's. People all, all across the country might not realize it. It might not get you know, news attention like Ted sin did. But you know what? Every time we choose to do our own thing, we compromise, we go our own way, it breaks God's heart. And it shames his name. Because people who think, you know what, they call themselves a Christian, yet they don't act very Christian-like. That, that brings God shame. So the question I want to leave with you this morning is, do you have any hazardous waste, secret sin that you need to dispose of this morning? David in Psalm 139 said this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. This morning, can I encourage you if you have some secret sin to deal with it? To come forward and come clean? To stop playing the game and just, say, and just get before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I, I've sinned against you and, 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 I, and, and, and forgive me. And the thing about secret sin that, 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 that I think you and I both realize is that secret sin becomes habitual sin. It becomes a habit that forms in our life. And habits are not easy to break. So not only is it important for us to confess our sin to God, but you know, I think it's also as important if you're struggling with a certain sin that, that's just gotten a hold of you and it's become habitual in your life, can I encourage you not only to confess it this morning, but find someone that you can talk to about it. You can talk to myself, you can talk to Pastor Dick, talk to a friend, but ask them to come alongside you and pray for you, to keep you accountable so that you don't get back into the sin cycle. Do you have any hazardous waste that needs to be disposed of? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to look into your word. Thank you for the reminder this morning that uh, sin is serious. And sin not only hurts you and your name, but it hurts the people around us, the people that we care about. And Lord, there are so many times that we try to in secret act like we have everything under control and that, uh, that we're doing what you want us to do and, and so many times that's not the case. That's not true. And Lord, I pray this morning that as you brought certain sins to our, our minds and to our attention that you would help us, help us to, to break the sin cycle and confess it to you. And Lord, if, if these sins have, have gotten a hold of our lives and been a part of our, our lives secretly for a number of years, I pray that we'd reach out to someone and ask us to keep us accountable. Father, search our hearts. And help us to live for you. Help us to live clean in a contaminated world, sin-free. In Jesus' name, amen.